Welcome to the 40 Under 40 podcast with your hosts, Caitlin Cromit and AJ McQuarrie. They are two entrepreneurs who speak to other entrepreneurs under the age of 40 so you can learn from their successes and failures along their journeys of building businesses. 40 Under 40 podcast hopes to educate, motivate, and inspire people to pursue their dreams of starting a business regardless of age. And now, here are your hosts, Caitlin and AJ. All right. Welcome our guest and co-host today. Can you believe it, AJ? You are in the hot seat. The tables have turned, girl. It's funny to be on this end. I know, right? It's a good time and I get to interrogate you. So are you ready for it? I am ready for it. Love it. Okay. So AJ, we know a little bit about you from our past podcast, but I feel like- Do you though? I don't think they do. We don't really talk much about ourselves. That's actually so true. They know way more about me because my episode came up. All right. Well, let's get into it because your life is so interesting and you've had quite the journey. So let's start from you were a little kid. You've been an entrepreneur since you were little. And I want to hear about that, like how you got started in this in this entrepreneurial life. Yeah, for sure. So I do have one of those stories where it's like, I've been an entrepreneur since I was 10 years old. And <laughs> it's it's true. I did. I started the first recollection. And I talk about it in my book, which I'm sure we're going to talk a lot about. <laughs> my book's coming out soon. The first, rec- the first recollection I have of like being an entrepreneur, I was like 10 years old and I started a bargain basement store. So basically I opened the bulkhead that was like going to the outside of my, like the side street of my house. And I had a little store down there and I was just selling stuff from around the house anything I could find like here's a leaf (laughs) yeah like hocus pocus on VHS is the example I use like Flintstone toys I even I even like took my sister's makeup (laughs) like we had to have variety right of course so I started with that it was obviously a flop but then I went on (laughs) I kept doing things in the neighborhood I'd sell like got a magic set for Christmas and I was doing magic tricks for the neighbors and charging them and just doing random stuff like the first legit gig I had was like babysitting, you know, and I don't yeah. say that's entrepreneurial in a way because you have to find the customers. Totally. But I would babysit and I would kind of do that sort of thing. And then I kind of ended up kind of graduating on to bigger and better things progressively. I and then when I was like 17, I had a theater company and I did like five productions in the Boston area. Wow. And like raised money for the business. So it was it was called Karma Box Vending. And that Karma was kind Box. Of yeah. Wow. Yeah. You've like been an entrepreneur since you probably even knew what that meant. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. That's pretty incredible. And so I want to hear about Karma Box, but I know that you were on the Canadian version of Shark Tank for this business, which I feel like was pretty early on. So t- what was that like? Yeah, that was a really cool experience. I got to pitch my vending business, my healthy vending concept on the Canadian version of Shark Tank. It's called Dragon's Den. Kevin O'Leary, aka Mr. Wonderful. Yeah, he was on the show. Robert Herjavec was on the show. They were like the original. It was the original show before Shark Tank was Dragons then. It's what inspired Mm -hmm. Shark Tank. So I got to go on and I got to pitch the business. It was an amazing experience. I did not get a deal the first time. But basically that experience ended up fueling my business. And like it fueled everything because... When you fail on television, so to speak, fail, if you will, like it didn't get the deal, it was aired on television. 
it kind of became my new driving force to like really make this business work. So I ended up moving back to Boston where I grew up and I was working for Starbucks for a few years and my business was just kind of like sitting there on a shelf where it was just an idea, but I was always like identifying as an entrepreneur and I would tell people about my business and my Dragon's Den experience. That was like my seven minutes of fame. It was my biggest moment. (laughs) Now I don't even really talk about it much, but it was so long ago, but I was 21. It was a cool experience. And yeah, I ended up leveraging that basically showing people it ended up ultimately getting me a $20,000 investment from one of my Starbucks customers. Nice. Yeah. Cause he saw it after I told him about my vending business, he was very impressed and we started meeting and I convinced him to give me 20 K. Love it. I, Already yeah, selling. So, yeah. It was really cool. And that was another moment that was a big, like what I call in the book, a lift hill moment, you know, on the roller coaster ride, it's like the lift hill brings you up to the top and drops you. <laughs> So it was kind of one of those moments, again, where I was just like, wow, it was just like more fuel, more fuel, more fuel pushing me forward to grow the business. Nice. And then what? What happened after that? Yeah. So Karma Box was basically the business I pitched on Dragon's Den was not Karma Box. It was actually called Invender and it was a different business, a different model completely. I ended up convincing my investor, my Starbucks guy in the book, I call him venti skinny vanilla latte guy uh, I ended up <laughs> I, I ended up convincing him to invest in my new model which was a way it was almost like a almost like a franchise model I'm not allowed to really say that word like that we called it a business opportunity because we weren't an actual franchise but we were selling the whole concept of being your own boss running your own business with a business that practically runs itself vending machines they work 24 hours you just have to stock it or hire someone to stock it so it was like it was like a business opportunity model and we and I ended up with the 20k I did a lot of like internet marketing and online advertising I ended up hiring people to help me with cold calls because we were getting a bunch of not even cold calls they were warm calls because they're inbound leads through our advertising And we ended up growing very, very quickly with that model. And any customer who signed up at the time, they'd give us between $20,000 and $120,000. So it was like a big, yeah, it was, you know, it was like smaller at the beginning. And like, as we progressed, we were selling bigger and bigger packages and we were able to like use the money and invest in better marketing. And like our first brochures had like typos and our website was awful. And it was like, (laughs) I don't know why anybody invested originally, but we ended up kind of polishing ourselves and our brand and we grew very quickly. So we went from like zero operators within three and a half years to 89 operators across the country with $4 million in revenue. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Wow. Yeah, that is quite a journey. So what did you learn from that business and how it ultimately ended, I guess? Yeah, well, spoiler alert for people who are listening who don't know my story, that business ended up crumbling down before me and I ended up going bankrupt for one and a half million dollars. And it was a really rough time of my life. It was a rough time of other people's lives too, who invested in my business and who like my operators who ended up losing some money or a lot of money, I should not underestimate it. It was ended up, it was a really rough time emotionally, mentally, financially, sure. Of course, that's like the nature of of bankruptcy. So I ended up like really digging into that and really like obsessing over the lessons over the last few years and really just trying to understand what the hell happened. How does that happen? How can you 
be in one and a half million dollars of debt as like a yeah. entrepreneur. Yeah, it's like a big deal. And like what yeah, what exactly is-, is like how does bankruptcy work? Yeah, well, so bankruptcy is basically it's your debt that is legally forgiven. You're legally off the hook for it. Back in the day, like hundreds of years ago in like England or a lot of places, some places today, if you go in debt, you you can go to jail. You go to yeah. prison. Yeah, they, it's like really not like it was a it was a system in place that like and it, it made sense. It was like there needs to be some type of justice for this, so to speak, uh, if you get into that much debt. Today in America, I think why we have such a successful country and a, such a flourishing economy with so much innovation, and we're it is because basically we have systems like bankruptcy in place to protect risk takers. So it's basically saying if you get in a lot of debt and you are overwhelmed and can't pay your debt, or you have a lot of liabilities and that sort of thing, which I had in my case, there were liabilities, outstanding contracts and that sort of thing for clients that I had to fulfill. It basically says that you, it's not a life sentence. It's a, it's a legal system, legal process that you still have to go through. You go through the court system, you basically, and, but your debt is forgiven in the end. If you're, if you deserve for it to be forgiven, basically, if you like, if you commit fraud, for instance, to go into debt, you cannot, your debt will not be forgiven. There are like certain circumstances, student loan debt is never forgiven, unfortunately. So yeah, you have to kind of, that's why you go through this process. You show everything, you show all your assets, everything, you show your Mm -hmm. bank statements, and they carefully look at everything to make sure that you don't have any. And then if you do have assets, then what they do is they sell the assets and then they divide it up amongst your creditors, the people you owe money to. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. So you went through all of that. And how did, I guess, after that happened, it, like it was obviously a really rough time, like you said, how, like, where did you turn to after that? How did you find the motivation to continue in this entrepreneurial life? I mean, honestly, Kaylin, I don't mean to be cheesy, but it's like people like you, like we were very good friends and yeah. I had such an amazing support system. Like you knew me before mm-hmm. when I was like this big shot entrepreneur. <laughs> and then Showing you, up you, in your life. Yeah, it was a Mercedes, but yeah. Okay. Had a different life. And then it, like, so you knew me before and after. And I just had such an amazing support system. Like I was not well. I was very anxious and nervous and scared and depressed and down and going to therapy and my whole like life was turned upside down I caused a lot of problems for other people and then that was like an even bigger burden on me like it was like okay I just went into debt and I owed money no but it was like people were offended were directly affected by me people who trusted me like I said they invested some people invested 20 to 120 thousand dollars so I would say like the last 10 operators who signed on with my business got really really screwed over and that was the biggest like burden and it still is to this day you know I've talked to you about it for years right Mm -hmm. like I still talk about this with people it's like I, I still, I hope someday to get those people back. I'll just say that. But to answer your question directly, it's like I had an amazing support system. I have, 
I've experienced a lot of setbacks in the past for somebody my age, especially like throughout my twenties, I, I, I was on a roller coaster ride for life as like during with life yeah. as well. So yeah. that was like a muscle, right? Like it was a muscle that I got to work out. And so when you finally do, I go back to my dragon's den day when I didn't get the deal, I was like crying and depressed for month, weeks, maybe months. Like I was not in a good place, but I didn't have the, I didn't have the coping mechanisms, right? I didn't have mm-hmm. the, I didn't know how to cope as a 21 year old kid who yeah. just failed big time on TV mm-hmm. uh, and could potentially be made a fool out of on television. That was my other big fear. So I didn't know how to cope with that. But today I'm now 34. Like, I'm just like, bring it at me, you know, and I've had other experiences, you know, my tragedy with my first love. And I just have a lot of stuff. And I realized throughout this time, especially after my bankruptcy is like, okay, I actually have a process that I follow. I actually yeah. do have this like formula and I've been following it my whole life, basically. And it's been, it's helped me get through these setbacks. Wow. That's inspirational. Just like here, like I knew all this about you, but like hearing you say it like this, I just feel like you have grown so much in your life and it's just really beautiful to see. So you've, you've used that process and that methodology and, and have you like, transformed that into something you can share with people or where has that yeah, taken you? Yeah, for sure. I would love to share it with you. So like to kind of take you back to the, the day that I realized that I've been like, oh my God, I follow this freaking process and it like works beautifully is you just, you were like your Lexus. Yeah. My Mercedes got smashed. <laughs> my Mercedes same, got same. smashed. It was a horrible accident. It's parked in my front of my LA apartment and of all the cars lined up in the street, it hit mine and it was horrible. It was a really crappy experience. And it like really hurt me because it was my last like materialistic thing, my symbol of my success that I was like grabbing on. I couldn't afford the payment. It was so high. It was like 700 bucks a month. It's like crazy. I don't know why I was even having a car like that, but I was, I wanted it so badly and my car got smashed. You know, now it was a freaking blessing looking back at it. But at the time I was like really crushed. It really affected me. I was in really I was really down about it in a bad place it was a huge setback and I remember like sitting there with my two dogs on the sidewalk as the freaking tow truck is bringing my car away and I'm just like why does this I can swear on here right yeah this is our podcast why does this shit always happen to me like what the hell is going on and it was just like this ding 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 light bulb moment I was like well I know what's up and it's like I've actually I know how to recover from this and it's like, because I was reflecting, like, how did I get through all my other shit? Yeah. Like, why does this shit always happen to me? Like, am I the freaking king of setbacks? Like, why <laughs> am I being tested? What the hell's going on There's here? There's got to be a purpose. Yeah. I need to speak to the manager immediately. <laughs> so I ended up realizing that, oh, my God, I've been following this process. And it actually spells out a word. We love acronyms. And I call it the comeback pill. So the comeback pill that you should take when you encounter a setback is really simple. And it's pill, P-I-L-L. The P stands for pain. So feel the pain, be sad, be upset, cry, talk to your therapist, like go through it, vent, call up your bestie, like whatever. Feel the pain, sit it, do not like suppress it, which a lot of people do. I don't want to be sexist, but a lot of men end up suppressing their emotions and feelings. They're taught through toxic masculinity that... You know, real men don't behave this way. Women too, just it's cultural. 
we try to suppress our feelings and our thoughts. And it's like, we, we, we equate these negative feelings as something that's really bad, but it's like, no, you got to feel it. You got to let it sit there. So pain, feel the pain, but obviously you got to move on eventually. Right. So, and then that's the eyes, the impact you try to move on. You think, and you reflect on your setback and you ask yourself, what impact is this setback really going to have on my life? Because we often build shit up way bigger mm-hmm. than it is right you know especially me i'm freaking so dramatic like like okay you know mm-hmm. some of us put the same intensity on everything like we give it all 100 percent, even though it doesn't deserve that so it's like okay what impact is this really going to have in my life and then with that it's just three simple questions will this matter in a week will this matter in a month will this matter in a year and will this matter in a week it often won't even freaking matter in a week even my car I could get a freaking, the insurance covers a rental and it covers everything. I'm fine. You know, will this matter in a week? Will this matter in a month? Will this matter in a year? And then when you kind of reframe it that way, it's like, it's not that big of a deal. It's sometimes it might, it might still matter in a week. It still might matter in a year. But obviously if that's the case, you want to make sure you have the right support, the right systems, therapy, whatever you need to go through the process. And then the first L is lessons. Again, we talked about it earlier, obsessively look for the lessons. They're, they are everywhere in everything. And again, yeah. it kind of becomes, you become grateful for it, right? And then the last one is just after you go through that process, let it go. Easier said than done. I understand that. I love that. Take the comeback pill. That's really good advice, honestly, for if you know an entrepreneur is going through a setback or going through a failure like like you did. That That's such a good, like concise way. Now, if that doesn't work, sometimes you're still like devastated by it, even going through that. And you're still so upset. Like my car instance, I remember I was really upset about that for a few days. It was like the next day I was still upset the day after. And then I I was like, okay, what else do I do? Again, reflection, looking, I was actually writing my book around the same time, rewriting my old book rather, and like putting things together. This was a year's thing in the making. So I was like, okay, what else do I do? And I was like, oh my God. And this is, you take plan B. If the comeback pill doesn't work, I don't want to be political. It's not like plan B, whatever, whatever folks. Like you take the plan B pill and the plan B pill is, it's another acronym. It's do it, D-O-I-T. And it's delusional optimism equals if then. So I'll tell you, and I'll be quick here. I know we have a lot of questions coming up. But so delusional optimism is basically like making up a story about your setback that if that setback didn't happen, something worse would have happened to you. So my car, I said, okay, if my car didn't get smashed, then I would have been driving this weekend. I was Ubering at the time. I would have Ubered around Los Angeles and I would have been in a horrific car accident that would have left me paralyzed for life. All of a sudden, I'm now like, thank you, universe, for smashing my car. Honestly, I love, I just got the chills, Asia. That was great. This is, I do it with everything. Every single thing that happens to me where I'm like, ah, I'm like, okay, if that didn't happen, then this would have been worse. Because listen, Caitlin, it could be true, right? Like it really could. could be, instead of attaching you to this other story, which I'm making up like, oh, my beautiful car. And I would have been driving around and picking up all the guys and Instead of attaching to that false BS, I just attach to a different false BS that could be real. Right. I love that. That is fantastic advice to really just imagine like what if could have, you know, what could have happened in the worst case scenario. Well, I love Um, this interview. You are a great interviewer, Caitlin. (laughs) 
I'm having a blast. Honestly, I feel like I'm getting to know you in a whole new way. So this is beautiful. All right. So tell us we're funny. about <laughs> we are. This is why we're great together. I know. <laughs> tell us about what you're doing now. What's your current business? Like what have you shifted to? And then I have obviously a bajillion more questions, but start with that. Yeah. So I'm doing a lot of things, you know, you know, everything I'm doing. We're not even going to dive deep into everything I'm doing because the audience would be like, (laughs) (laughs) probably they would like really like crash their cars and they'd drive off the road while they're listening to the podcast. Anyway. So yeah, my business. So I do have a business. It's called keep going media and we do a few different things. The core of it, I'd say we're like a business development agency. I used to say marketing agency, but we ultimately we help entrepreneurs spark growth with their businesses. And we do this by uh, like, we want to help entrepreneurs like back. We want to help them like solidify their ideas, take action. That's very important. And yeah, spark the growth, get that going. And we do that through various different mediums. So we have like a lot of free resources. I do some videos. I do podcasting with you. You know, it's like we're in that sense, think of like a media company. So videos, podcasting, I have articles that I've written over the years and I need to get better at that kind of like the free resources stuff. I have a free training session, Craft Your Comeback free training. You actually helped me film one of the training sessions, the seven mistakes that killed my business that will be coming out. So I have all of these things going and and then we have programs coming. So there's a Keep Going Academy. It's an online program. And then the marketing services. So we do some basic wow. marketing, like like brand development and logo and that sort of thing, website. And we also do digital marketing. And we do a lot of other things. So brand development, digital marketing, social media management, that sort of thing. Wow. You really do it all. It's amazing. What made you decide to help other entrepreneurs? So that's... You know, after my business tanked, so after Karma Box tanked, again, the great reflection period for me for years, it's like thinking of everything I've learned and everything. But it's like, okay, what did I do right? Okay, so I was focusing on what the hell went wrong. Then it's like, what did I do right? And I did some things right. And one of those things was my, I was great at marketing. Marketing and sales, those are my biggest strengths. That was, that's why we grew so quickly. Yeah. Uh, We grew super fast because of that. And why we failed is because of the operations, the finance, you know, the human resources, the people stuff, the, that side of thing, that side of the business, I really was not the greatest at, and I should have had someone really strong in that role. And I should have like hired, and that's a whole other thing. It's like I was I was a college dropout. I had this insecurity about that. And I do I I just I was hiring like I don't know, I wasn't hiring the right people for the right roles, which and, and I was expecting a lot out of them. And they worked so freaking hard for me. They really tried their best. And kind of look at all that. So, but going back to your original question is what why keep going media? And it's because I realized that. That is what I was great at, sales, marketing. It's like, I could totally help people with their marketing. I could totally brand and come up with marketing copy and 
I could do that. And I've been doing that for the last couple of years. It's been really fun. I've worked with some amazing entrepreneurs from all different types of industries and different types of people, you know, who I've worked with. It's like really cool people. Um, yeah. Another thing I do a lot of is like content marketing strategy for entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. which um, I didn't mention. I do. And that kind of also editing the actual video, but also yeah. like strategizing and coming up with that. So yeah, I just wanted to lean into my strengths and that's why I love to keep going media. That's great. I mean, that's really important to figure out what you did right, not just focus on all the things that went wrong. So what you said something interesting, which was you should have put something, someone strong in that role. So a couple of questions off of that is what do you feel like are some of the most important skills for an entrepreneur to have inherently? And then at what point or how do you build your team? And how do you suggest building that strong team? Yeah, that's a great question. And a few things came to mind as you were saying that. The first, I think one of the most important like qualities of an entrepreneur, of a good entrepreneur, I think would be, there's a bunch of things now flooding in my head, but I'll say like likability right? Like, mm-hmm. are you a likable person? Do you have a pleasant mm-hmm. personality? Are you kind? Are you fun to be around? But that's not enough, right? That's, but that, that's like to the core of like who you are. Like, are you charismatic? Are you fun? Are you mm-hmm. interesting? Do people like you and gravitate towards you? If you have that like factor, whatever they call it, that will help you tremendously as an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And that can help you. Yeah, that can like really a lot of your other weaknesses that can over like that can be your biggest asset and your biggest strength. You could get other people to fill all the other roles. But so that and then on that same note is like you need to be good at sales. And I talk about this in the book. If you're an entrepreneur, you are in sales like you need to be good at sales. You need to be good at selling your idea to investors, like going back to the star skinny vanilla latte customer, but to employees and getting the right talent and then to your customers, you know, you need to be great at selling. So selling the vision. So that's the other, I would say that's the third piece is you need to have a good vision, be strategic and really have a good vision and a good strategy and how you're going to do it. I'm going to say one more thing that just popped up. I'm just kind of spitballing here. But the other thing you need is you need to have the vision. Uh, You need to know how to get the people enrolled in your vision and that sort of thing. The last thing I'm going to say here is you need to be able to really understand at a core fundamental level what you're selling, how you're going to sell it. You know, we hear about it all the time, like you and we hear about entrepreneurship is about the solution, right? What solutions are you selling to your customers? What problems are you solving for your customers? So you need to know that to the core. And then you need to know exactly step-by-step the model. That's why we ask every time this podcast, what's your business model? Like the model of your business, how you're going to get the customer to give you the money. Yeah. And that is, I think, I would sum that up as being the most important part. Now, Mm -hmm. if you're lacking some of those things, it doesn't mean you'll be a bad entrepreneur. You could easily get people to help you and fill those in. And how do you get people to help you? How do you build out a team? Number one, do you have a team currently with Keep Going Media? And how do you decide who's on that team? Yeah, I do have a little team. It's mostly like contractors and not nobody full time, but we're all kind of doing a lot of different things and moving at different puzzle pieces. With Karma Box at the peak of the business, I had 17 employees. And that was like, I was really not good at building the team and got some really good employees. And then like toward the middle and end, 
my assistant or my operations person would do the interviewing because I was just really, I was starting to get really bad at interviewing people. And it was basically like, do I like them? Having a conversation mm. with them and just getting vibes. Like, dude, I hired a woman to work for me. And actually, you know, Irene, she was my coach at the time. She was like, you need to do a background check. Like she was like, she was like making me like, you need to do background checks. And I'm so glad she said this because I ended up hiring this woman, offering her. And when I hire someone at whatever I do, I, I just give them everything. Passwords, keys, like, like they know everything. <laughs> yeah, they know everything really quickly, which is probably not good. I've been getting better at that. But I was like, I hired this woman to be my assistant. And she ended up her back. I was starting getting suspicious because I was calling references. Irene was making me call references too. Calling references and like guy, one of the references is like, oh yeah, I know her. What What's up? And I was like, she left you as a reference. She's like, she did. I don't know why she left me as a reference. It was like this really awkward conversation. I was just like, okay. And then her background came back. It was drug offense, robbery, this and that. Yeah. Oh, like God. I was just like, oh God. So I'm not the best person to answer this question. I was really bad at hiring people. I'm getting better. Behavioral interview, I think, is the secret. And asking mm. good behavioral interview questions. Tell me about a time when you did X, Y, and Z. And how did that go yeah. for you? Mm-hmm. Give them, give examples. But yeah, I just, I try to ultimately find people who are going to compliment me. And yeah. who are going to. Like fill in the gaps that you need. Yeah. And here. there's a yeah. lot of those gaps. <laughs> Well, perfect. You have a lot of potential team members. <laughs> um, You're like, job postings coming soon. Go at media.com. Exactly. Apply now. <laughs> okay. I have 65 questions left. So let's go. Oh my gosh. Are you joking? Okay. Yes, I, of course. Okay. But no, I just, I just really have a lot of questions for you because of your journey. So you had mentioned your college dropout. What's been your education journey? I know it's been a little unconventional, but tell us about that and why why it's been that way. Okay. Yeah. So I mentioned I was a college dropout and that was a huge insecurity of mine throughout my 20s. Like I felt really crappy about it. Also because I dropped out, but I, I basically flunked out. Like I did really poorly toward the end of my schooling because I was just in entrepreneur mode. I was in business mode. Dragon's Den was happening. Like school was the least of my worries. I, that semester where when I went to Dragon's Den, I finished a semester. I literally did a, did my finals. One was with my world politics professor who I was crying in his office a week before because I was going to fail his class. And I he's like, just take the exam and try your best. And then so I took the exam. I was the first one to leave. I did horribly. I just looked at him. He looked at me. We both do. I failed. <laughs> I left. I packed my, I left. I went to the car and then basically long story short, I ended up getting, I ended up getting like driving from there to Dragon to Toronto, which was like a 20 something hour drive. Wow. So I was just not in the right state of mind. I was also like not healthy. I was I was a spin instructor, so I looked really healthy, but I was a hundred pounds, not a hundred pounds. I was 200 pounds, like 40 pounds thinner than I am now. I was not eating well. I was just in stress mode. So anyway, I, I, I forgot your freaking question. I asked about your educational journey. Oh yeah. So anyway, I did poorly in school. I see, I go on these freaking tangents. I go, I did very poorly in school. And then I was, I ended up dropping out. 
which was a whole other thing because dropped out a year before to originally launch the business. Then I went back for a year. And when I dropped out the first time, all of my friends in college, everyone was like, dude, you're dropping out of school for a vending machine business. You're so dumb. Like people really were like criticizing me. Some people thought it was brilliant. Oh my God, healthy vending. But a lot of the students that I was at, my peers were like, that is so dumb. Like, so then I was like, I'll be back next year. And I was, I went back next the year after, but then the dragons and stuff happened. So I, I dropped out of school and I was a college dropout throughout my 20s. It was a huge insecurity of mine. When Karma Box started doing well, I started kind of wearing it with a badge of honor. Like, ha, I joined the college dropout entrepreneur club. We're, we're the shit. And I felt like, I, I, in a way, I felt good about it, but I still was a little insecure about it. Like I was telling you, I, I wouldn't hire well-educated people. And I was just like, I had this inferiority complex or something. And so I ended up feeling being insecure and then when I went after I went bankrupt Caitlin I'm like okay I can't be a bankrupt entrepreneur and a college dropout like no I'm going back and then kind of the bankruptcy kind of again reflecting on things it made me think like I've been through this in the past in other ways like I've been fiscally and finance like financially very irresponsible in my life like getting into college debt and dropping out of school and like even dropping out of school like I just noticed these like patterns that I was like, okay, I'm going back to school. I'm going to get my bachelor's degree and then my master's degree. And I went back to school. I went to Los Angeles City College. I started taking classes. I did very well there, got like straight A's. And then I transferred to California State University, Northridge, CSUN, Matadors represent. And I got my bachelor's degree. I got my bachelor's degree and I graduated actually last December. I got my bachelor's degree. Yeah, it was really fun. You know that I was like freaking in school and like, dude, I have six classes this semester. I was like, oh, crazy. Yeah. stuff. So yeah, I graduated. I'm super proud of it. And I'm now enrolled at Boston University in Boston University's MBA program starting in June 2023. Yeah. Look how far you've come. I know. And I love education. I want to pursue my education. I mean, probably after my MBA, I'll go for something more. Like I just, I'm really, I love education. I love learning. I love it. That's awesome. So what, okay. I'm trying to decide where to go from here. I know that you've had <laughs> lots of places, girl, a lot of places I could go from here. So throughout your entrepreneurial journey, you've had like part-time jobs here and there. I know you had your Starbucks job and you had various ways to supplement mm-hmm. your income and maybe full-time when, job. and full-time jobs. So how, how do you balance everything? And yeah, I guess that's the question. How do you balance everything and keep a business going? Yeah. So I used to actually, my rhetoric used to be something that I do not say anymore. I used to preach and like insist people quit their jobs and do this and And I used to like be on that train and that bandwagon, like you need to have fuel and like when you don't have a job and you force yourself and I don't actually believe that anymore because even with Karma Box, yeah, I quit Starbucks, my full-time management job, managing a coffee shop, but I also got a job at a restaurant. I worked at Fleming's Prime Steakhouse and I was a server there. My aunt got me a hookup. I was not qualified to be a fine dining server, but I, I got a good job. I was making a lot of money there. I was like two or three nights a week, could pay the bills. So, and I did that for like maybe a year, less than a year. And when revenue started increasing and growing, and then I ended up leaving. 
And I'm glad I left on good terms because I ended up needing it later and I went back. So Karma Box sustained my living for a few years and then that went bust. And then I went back to Fleming's as a servant. I went back to the restaurant business. I was doing property management and the building I was in in Los Angeles. I was just like, I was always doing stuff. I still am launching a business, working, having a job, having a side gig. So anyway, I say this is because if you're listening now and you want to be an entrepreneur, having that job, having that security. If it's a full-time 40-hour-a-week day job, it's tough. But if it's like a work-from-home job and there's some flexibility, you know, it's it's a lot easier. But yeah, having that job, having that day job of like nine to five in the office, it's really hard to launch a business. You still can. You could do it at night when you're not working on the weekends. There's always opportunity but that takes up time and effort and if Mm -hmm. you're in a relationship and like there are sacrifices you know again going back to the book opportunity cost it's a really important concept entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. need to really think about and understand what's the opportunity cost of me doing this so Mm -hmm. I say this because yeah you got to balance everything I recommend jobs like serving and bartending because you could do that at night you could work during the day on your business it's a great gig Sales, some sales jobs, work from home jobs, that sort of thing. Yes. So you can balance it. And what it does is it's going to fuel your business because you don't want to be serving tables every day. You don't want to be doing cold calls all day for another Mm -hmm. company. Like you want to be growing and you want to be doing better. So it's going to fuel your business and it's going to give you stability. So Last year, the year before, I was desperate with my business, Caitlin. Like, you know, I was like lowballing. I was getting, I was doing things for clients for cheap, like charging a few hundred bucks when I should have charged a few thousand dollars. Like, I felt really weird about asking for money after my mm-hmm. bankruptcy. I still sometimes have issues with that. And I had this weird complex around that. But I also have this weird, like, I wasn't feeling good about myself and I didn't have great self esteem and I felt like crap about the business and the failure. And so, I was really lowballing and undervaluing myself and it was a bad vicious cycle. So I recommend having stability, having something to help yeah. you fuel the business. How you balance that is just, I don't know. It like depends on your personality. Maybe some people can't balance it. I'm ADH.com to the max. Like <laughs> I need to be busy. I flourish on that and I crave that like busy schedule and busyness. So yeah, I just, you got to balance it block things out in your calendar, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. It's super important to be able to manage your schedule. Okay. Well, we're going to have to do a part two because I have so many more questions, but let's end on, tell us what's coming out soon for you and how we can see. Oh my God. I know we, we could talk for hours. I know. Uh, I know. You need to do us two just chatting because like back and forth, we'll do well with this, like passing the baton and totally, totally. But yeah, thanks for interviewing me. So yeah, to answer your question, I wrote Craft Your Comeback. It's a book, basically Craft Your Comeback, turning setbacks into advantages after failures, flukes, and F-ups. It's the three F's, which is like categorizing your setback and that's important because you respond to each one differently depending on what you encounter. I'm scared. I talk about a lot of embarrassing stories, even about me pooping my pants at college. I oh, really, God. yeah, I talk about a Can't lot. Can't wait to read it. <laughs> yeah, so I talk about a lot of shit, and I hope y'all read it. There's some amazing lessons and stories, and it's a it's a beautiful book. I'm proud of it. I'm so excited to read it. I'm gonna need your autograph, and you're gonna have to ship it to for me. sure. I'll send you a personal copy. 
Yay. Okay. Well, AJ, you know how we end. And that is our entrepreneurs born or bred. Oh, dang. I forgot about this one. I think there are characteristics that you can have inherently that you're born with, like your personality and that sort of thing that can really help you become an entrepreneur. My nephew, Ace, he has the best personality and like he can do whatever he wants. He can be the CEO of whatever company or run any business. And so there, there are personality traits and there are things that you can have inherently as a person, maybe you're but like, you're more of a risk taker and that sort of thing, just naturally, but like everything and anything, I think you can work on it. And a lot of people become entrepreneurs and they fell into entrepreneurship. And it's definitely at the same time of being like inherent. It can also be a skill set that you work on, that you develop. And I think anybody can be an entrepreneur. I don't think everybody should be an entrepreneur. And certainly not everybody has it in them to be an entrepreneur, even though they want to be. They yeah. a lot of people want to be and they create it's glamorized and it's like it's the new whatever. Like entrepreneurship's hot right now, but not everybody should be and can be and will be an entrepreneur. True. We're going to do this again, though, because I have a ton more questions that people need to hear. So thanks for coming on. We're so excited about your book launch. Keep us all posted. Where can where can we find you? You can find me online, AJ McQuarrie. You 40 can, under 40 podcast.com. 40 under 40. You can find me on there. You can find me on in LinkedIn. You could find me on Instagram. You could find. Yeah. Keep going. Instagram. You know, findable. Love it. Findable. I'm Googleable. <laughs> So yeah, thank you, Caitlin. Folks, we'll see you in a couple weeks. That's going to be great. All right. Thanks, AJ. Bye, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the 40 Under 40 podcast with Caitlin Cromit and AJ McQuarrie. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We really appreciate that effort, and we'll catch you in the next episode.